first of all, let's not normalize that painful boobs are normal. Okay. Um, so that's the first thing that we, you know, that we want to establish. And a lot of times something is so common and it's like every woman you talk to and they say, oh yeah, I have breasts, you know, my breasts, my, my boobs get really painful. And it's, and we, we assume that it's normal just because something is common. Just, just because you have constant engorgement and pain, that's not, does not make it normal. Welcome. This is episode 417. I'm so glad to see you here. Today, we're going to be talking about fibrocystic breasts and breast health overall. Now, did you know that between 50 to 90% of women experience fibrocystic breasts at some point during their lifetime, according to Cleveland Clinic, Mount Sinai, and PubMed? The condition is most common amongst women ages 20 to 50 years old. Now, I don't need to tell you that when we're dealing with breast health, there's a lot of fear, shame, guilt, um, when we're dealing with cysts and lumps and bumps. And this conversation can feel a little bit terrifying. So don't worry, Magdalena, our guest and I are going to walk through things step by step and really go through the details around fibrocystic breasts, what happens, how we can prevent this, and talk a little bit about hormonal imbalances, mainly estrogen dominance, inflammation, lymphatic stagnation, and really how to assess these and improve your breast health overall. Now, our guest today, Magdalena Sislaki is the founder of Hormones Balance Community and Walina Products supplements made by women for women. Her online platform and products are dedicated to helping women to balance hormones naturally. She's a published author of Cooking for Hormone Balance and Overcoming Estrogen Dominance. If you guys remember episode 302 from March 14th, 2021 called Overcoming Estrogen Dominance is a really good one where we had Magdalena on to talk about estrogen dominance in more detail. So if today's just snippets on estrogen dominance interest you, then go back over to episode 302 that was published March 14th, 2021, if you want to check that out. So Magdalena wrote that book, Overcoming Estrogen Dominance, and is an endocrine nutrition expert, certified herbalist, speaker, educator, and a published author with a long history of her own hormone challenges. These challenges include Graves and Hashimoto's disease, which is the auto immunity conditions affecting the thyroid and estrogen dominance. Today, she's in full remission while sailing through perimenopause, and she teaches women how to accomplish the same. So without further ado, let's cut to today's interview. Hey, my name is Leanne Vogel. I'm fascinated with helping women navigate how to eat, move, and care for their bodies using a low-carb diet. I'm a small town holistic nutritionist turned three-time international best-selling author turned functional medicine practitioner offering telemedicine services around the globe to women looking to better their health and stop second-guessing themselves. I'm here to teach you how to wade through the wellness noise to get to the good stuff that'll help you achieve your goals. We're supporting your low-carb life beyond the if-it-fits-your-macros conversation. Hormones, emotions, relationship to your body, workouts, letdowns, motivation, blood work, detoxing, metabolism. I'm providing the tools to put your motivation into action. Think of it like quality time with your bestie mixed with a little med school so you're empowered at your next doctor visit. Get ready to be challenged and encouraged while you learn about your body and how to care for it better. This is the Keto Diet Podcast. Hey, Magdalena, how are you? Really well this morning. <laughs> Thank you for your patience for getting us set up this morning. Yeah, we sure did have some technical difficulties, but we are here and we are ready to talk about breast health. I'm really stoked. We're really going to be focusing on fibrocystic breasts and what that means, why we're experiencing it, how to move past it, how to prevent it, how to know we're experiencing it and everything in between. So why don't we start off by talking a little bit about how hormones affect our breast health? Yeah, in a huge way, right? I mean, first of all, <clears throat> I think most women realize that when you are, if you're still menstruating, it's like that week, for some women, 10 days before your period, this is when your boobs can go from size A to size C in a course of days, right? So a lot of women have that inkling of it's like, wait a second, that's something to do with my 
hormones because it's connected with my cycle. So definitely that's uh that's that's one big item. The other, you know, the other thing, um, so estrogen specifically, the play of estrogen, excessive estrogen or estrogen progesterone ratio, what we call estrogen dominance, can definitely play a huge role here. The other thing that can impact women's, you know, breast health is just our blood sugar levels and the inflammation that it can be contributing. So it's in the body. And so some women have fibrocystic breasts as much as what we call non-cyclical uh, breast health issues, which is basically regardless of their periods uh, that, you know, they will have engorged, painful, swollen breasts for 30 days out of a month, right? So then it's not hormonal, then it will be, you're looking more at a great level of inflammation and stagnation in the breasts that we can talk about later that play a huge role here too. Amazing. And how then would diet play in? You talked a little bit about blood sugar. Can we get a little bit more into that as to how diet can play with just overall breast health? Yeah, absolutely. So, you know, breast health is never isolated, right? It's as in if somebody is having breast health issues, it's most likely this person is having other hormonal issues going on, right? So whether it's she's got heavy periods, painful, painful periods, she might be also having you know, weight gain around her hips and her thighs, because that's very estrogen-like. It could be that she is having uh, no ovulation. She is struggling with things like, um, you know, fibroids. Uh, she might also be having thyroid issues, thyroid nodules. Those are like estrogen dominance, classical symptoms. She might have a history of breast cancer, ovarian cancer in a family, thyroid cancer, right? So all of that, a lot of times connected. So really one of the, you know, so I mean, it's a big question about how do you address it. I mean, I, you know, I've written books about estrogen dominance and how to resolve it with diet, right? It can be a big part, a, a huge part of a conversation. But, you know, to bring it down to like really the, the, the real high level and simple concepts is you really got to, you know, fix your digestion, right? Remove all inflammatory foods that, and I suspect, I mean, I think I'm preaching to the choir because most of your listeners are fans of keto, they have done the elimination diet by now, they pay a lot of, I know you, you've done a lot of work around gut health. And that's usually important because estrogen partly gets metabolized in the gut itself. And so that's having the correct microbiome balance, having, you know, not eating inflammatory foods. And in my case, I mean, I think your audience is way past this, but in case somebody's starting out with on this journey, I mean, have taking out gluten, dairy, soy, corn and eggs. So that's, that could be an interesting actually data point for keto fans is that a lot of people do a lot of eggs in the morning, right? Or just eggs in general, because they are really super easy and nutritious food. I have found that about 50% of women that I used to work with when I was in private practice would have a problem with eggs. So it's, it might be a good idea if you're struggling with your hormones, just to remove eggs for four to six weeks and then reintroduce them and see whether they are your friend or your foe. Um, and you can go by symptoms quite easily, you know, anything from digestive issues to suddenly skin issues to, like, for example, I get zits if I eat too many eggs and, you know, some people get anxiety, feel very unsettled, get digestive issues, et cetera. So, you know, so that's the first part of the part of the process that as your digestion improves, your liver improves as well. And the liver is so fundamental when it comes to metabolism of hormones. I mean, your thyroid hormones depend on the healthy liver, but also, again, estrogen, metabolism. And what I mean by metabolism is basically how your, you know, when estrogen is produced and it gets into the cells and that's its work. And then, and then when it's used, it gets back into the blood and the, and the liver is the one that separates, that clean their estrogens from, it separates the dirty estrogens out of the blood. So we literally poop them out, right? So, you know, so the liver is, is really like this, your sieve, like think of it, like if you're making a bone broth, right. And you're straining all the vegetables and, and, and bones and whatnot and meat and what's left in the, you know, in the sieve, it's like the gunk, that's your liver. I mean, that's really literally what your liver does. So, you know, so that's a, so we, we dietarily speaking, we want to do things that supports the liver. What can you do here? Well, very simple things. First of all, like just by doing the elimination diet, you're already helping your liver in a huge way, right? And the second thing is, you know, I love to add bitter vegetables. So anything that's got, let's put it this way, liver loves bitters, right? So anything that's bitter is going to do amazingly well for the liver. So for example, if you, you know, starting off with vegetables a little bit more bitter on, 
say, on the scale, right? Meaning throw away lettuce or zucchinis. I mean, these things are like nutritionally really poor. There's nothing exciting about them. They're not going to really help your liver. But instead, support your liver with foods, cruciferous vegetables, so the brassica family of vegetables, right? So be things like cauliflower and broccoli. And broccoli sprouts are amazing. And kale and collard greens and arugula uh, my personal favorite, you know, start making salads with arugula rather than be using lettuce as an example. Not only do they have better qualities, but they also contain a lot of sulfur and they also contain a substance called the alveomethane, also known as DIM. And some of the women, uh, some, some women have taken DIM before and they know what it is. And that helps you to bind up estrogen too, you know, and it's going to support the liver. So a, a really amazing quality vegetables. And they don't have to be raw. You can easily cook them as well. And if people a lot of times are freaked out when I say this because they go, I have a thyroid condition. I shouldn't be eating cruciferous vegetables. Let me say this. Yeah, I know you're just, people can't see it, but I know you're smiling. And <laughs> it, I know it's, it's, let me put it this way. I started off 12 years ago as a health coach, working with people with thyroid and Hashimoto's disease, because that was my story too, right? And I have never, ever met a person who has removed all the cruciferous vegetables and recovered from Hashimoto's and thyroid issues. Have you? I have never seen this in the history of the last 15 years working with people one-on-one. Yeah. (laughs) I mean, I have come across people who just put like, you know, they started doing smoothies with two bunches of kale every morning kind of a thing. Uh, Did you do it? Yeah, and they they started having thyroid problems. Okay, maybe there's something to it, but you know, yeah. So anyway, the so cruciferous vegetable. The other thing is, you know, there's I'm an herbalist too, right? So you know, you don't have to be an herbalist to bring in bitter digestive bitters into your life, but you can just do a simple thing: go to a health food store, go to go to the tea section, which now you have like. 40, 50 different teas to choose from and look for those digestive teas. And typically what you want to look for is something that contains brudock root, dandelion root, artichoke leaf, you know, kind of a thing, fennel. I mean, those are all amazing herbs that you can just infuse it as a little tea after dinner, after a meal. And that brings those better qualities into your life and really helping with supporting your liver. So really simple things like that. Yeah, you're so right. So you guys can't see, but I have this huge like glass container and it has dandelion in it and artichoke and I brewed a tea and then I added some uh, bitter chocolate and I it is so good. It is my favorite thing and it's so tasty, a little bit of protein powder too. So you can have fun with it too. And I liked your comment too about the like your audience is probably past this and these are all basics, but I think sometimes it's helpful to kind of go through those basics again, because some of us are doing things and we've forgotten why we're doing them and why they're important. And so I'm sure that was an encouragement to some of the women listening. And so we've talked a little bit about engorged breast. We've talked about uh, fibrocystic breasts. What are some of the other health challenges or issues that we may see in our overall breast health? I mean, you know, first of all, let's not normalize that painful boobs are normal, okay? Um, so that's the first thing that we, you know, that we want to establish. And a lot of times something is so common and it's like every woman you talk to and they say, oh yeah, I have breasts, you know, my breasts, my, my boobs get really painful and it's, and we, we assume that it's normal. Just because something is common, just, just because you have constant engorgement and pain, that's not, does not make it normal. You know, the same way, like you go and see a doctor and they go, oh, there's a lump, right? On your breast. And then you go and get a, you know, whatever diagnostic tools is very disputable of what's the right way of doing it. But let's just say you get a, a thermogram or you get a, mono, a, a, a sonogram done, right? And, and it looks benign. Uh, I mean, this is definitely another symptom, but, you know, with Western medicine, they'll just tell you to wait and see and send you home which I generally have a problem with because if you had a lump on your hand, you know, or somewhere on your face, you would do something about it. Right. So it's, it does not make it normal by any means. And there's, you know, when it comes to breast health, there's really three underlying causes of why our breasts are struggling. Number one is that is estrogen dominance. Like what I, what I mentioned, number two is inflammation. Number three is stagnation of the lymphatic system in the breast. The breasts are hugely you know, has got a lot of lymphatic passages going through them, right? And they're also so close to our armpits, which is in that a lot of the nodes are in the armpits too. And so, you know, if we want, we if you want, uh, Leanne, we can we can talk about breast massage, how to do a lymphatic breast massage on your own breasts, 
to move that stagnation out of the breast. But those are the three underlying causes. And like I said, you know, whenever someone has breast issues, they also have, that woman has a lot of other hormonal problems going on. So the likelihood is that if you're working on resolving your breast issues and work on estrogen dominance, work on lowering just your overall systemic inflammation in the body, move your breast lymphatic system a little bit, right? And the chances are that a lot of other health issues will resolve themselves as well. Yeah. So can we can we kind of hone in on exactly what we're talking about when we say fibrocystic breasts? I'm sure many of us have done some sort of self-exam and we'll talk about kind of what that is if you've never done it before or some sort of, some sort of breast massage, which we'll talk about in a bit um, for those that may not be familiar. But when we're feeling things around, what's normal and what's not normal to feel? Yeah. Okay. So what is normal would be if you're still menstruating, what would be pretty normal is that your breast, there's some slight changes in the breast before your period, right? So that's pretty normal because at that point, you know, your hormones are all, you know, if you look at the chart of like, especially in the luteal phase, right? Of from your ovulation to your period, there's a lot of stuff that's going on with the hormones. They're going up and down, up and down, right? And so that is, so having some kind of a change in the breast is normal. And when I say that, it's, it just means like it might feel a tiny bit tender. It might feel a little bit larger than usual, right? But what we should not be feeling is going from cup A to cup C in a course of two, three days to a point where touching is really painful. Having sex is off the books because it is so unpleasant. Doing sports is off the, you know, is off the books because it's too painful too, right? And you know, that's not normal. Finding a lump on your breast. I mean, our breasts, you know, when I explained the massage, I think one of the cool things about doing the massage that we'll talk about is that you can use this on a daily basis, or at least, you know, three times a week to really get to know your breasts of what is your normal, right? And it's correct that your breasts have kind of like, almost like a lumpy feel to them because there's a lot of fat tissue. So it's almost like you're basically massaging through a fat tissue, especially when you have larger breasts. But then finding a lump, you know, which is which is then something that when you're massaging your breast, not looking for a lump, but when you get to know your breast and love your breast, and then you find an irregularity, then you know, like, okay, well, this wasn't here before. Let me go and get this checked out, right? Or hopefully you never, you never will. I mean, that was definitely a big part of my work was, you know, finding a lump, I think for any woman is a very emotional time, right? Because it brings up a lot of emotions of, oh, wait a second, like, what is this? And then, you know, what brought this on? Is this normal or not? And then the worst thing is, how do I get it diagnosed? Because everybody's sending me for mammograms. But I listen to these podcasts and these women are telling me that mammograms might not be the way to go, right? Is thermogram going to be okay? What about a sonogram? Right? And, and, you know, and then you call the hospital and they make you they make it sound like if you don't come tomorrow and get a mammogram, you're going to die, right? And so... You know, so there's that pressure there too. And so it's a very emotional time for anyone, especially the first time you find a breast lump. So like a distinct lump on your breast, like, you know, something that feels like a button that's there, like a P, you know, that's just sitting there, like a seed that's in your breast. That's not normal, right? And this is when we want to start taking care of it, obviously get it diagnosed properly. But, you know, I'm all about prevention because that was, you know, that was my story of like, I remember finding my first breast lump in a car in my late twenties and how it freaked me out. I'll never forget. And it's also the emotions of shame and guilt. And it's like, Oh, is it all the booze that I drank? Is it the cigarettes that I smoked? Did I party too much in college? You know, all that kind of stuff that's coming out. So anyway, so, so that's not normal. And, and this is where we want to do stuff, but that's, that's why part of, a big part of my work is all about prevention so that you don't ever have to find a lump in, in your breast, you know, especially if you have a history of breast issues in the family, breast breast cancers. I mean, this what we're going to talk about is not going to prevent breast cancer itself. But then again, you know, estrogen dominance is a big contributor, right, towards uh, breast cancer. It's a DNA damage that happens in the cell combined with estrogen dominance, which makes which makes things worse. And the and so that's something that we can definitely prevent. And you know, everything that you teach is all about prevention of DNA damage. Everything that I teach, I mean, lowering inflammation itself right? That is a huge part of that's going to play into your breast health and prevention from cancers as well, if that's a concern for someone. When I started eating a low-carb diet in 2014, I had no idea the impacts that low electrolytes would have on my overall health. 
I started keto. I added a little bit of pink salt to my water, but really didn't think that a lack of sodium, potassium, or magnesium would really throw me off. I can tell you after a couple of weeks of eating the ketogenic diet, it was very apparent that I needed electrolytes. Unfortunately, at the time, there was no element electrolytes. There was no such thing. I really had two different options. They weren't the best. I went and added pink salt to my water. That tasted not so great. Fast forward a whole bunch of years, Element came out with their first electrolyte powder, and I've been hooked ever since. In fact, little secret here, I actually add more salt to my Element packet because I'm crazy. So my very favorite way to enjoy Element electrolytes is to add it to my 24-ounce water bottle and add an additional quarter teaspoon of gray sea salt. Now, this isn't for everybody, but for individuals that are massively lacking sodium, I do have this issue personally. Um, it can display as allergies, apathy, abdominal bloating, depression, dizziness, fatigue, low blood pressure, low hydrochloric acid in your stomach, poor protein digestion, weakness, slow oxidation, and unfortunately, calcium supplements will make this even worse. And so, if you think that maybe, maybe you need more sodium on your ketogenic diet, the best way to bump this up is with electrolyte packets. I've had many coaching friends and clients tell me that they're taking anywhere between two to six packets a day. I know that it is my most favorite way to prepare for a workout is doing my electrolytes about 30 minutes before I work out. If you haven't tried Element and you're looking for a different type of electrolyte or you've never tried them before and you're curious if this is the missing ticket in your ketogenic diet, you can go to drinklmnt.com, grab a couple items, and get a free sample pack with your order. That's eight single-serving packets free with any element order. All you have to do is go to drinklmnt.com slash kdp, and you can get your free sample pack with any order. Now, this is totally risk-free. If you don't like what you get, contact them and you, they will give you your money back. No questions asked. You really have nothing to lose. It's a fantastic product. And I can't wait to hear which flavor is your favorite. Completely. And we're going to take a pivot into prevention, but I have one more question kind of in the realm of we're feeling around, we're feeling stuff. What are we looking for? How do we feel around? Like, what are we doing in a self-exam? How often are we doing it? When in the cycle is best? How does this change when we have experienced menopause? Like what, what should we be doing with the self-exam? Yeah. So, so let me explain them uh, the massage in just a second, but it's also a good point you mentioned about perimenopause and menopause. So a lot of women who enter perimenopause and menopause start experiencing breast change, breast changes as well. And so, and sometimes it's not particularly connected to the cycle because the cycle can go really, really off kilters, you know? And so, so you might, if you're going through perimenopause or menopause, you might be experiencing that suddenly you ha you're having these breast changes, right? And which you've never had before. Is that normal? No, you shouldn't be experiencing them. It's the same, it's the same story. And it, it was something that comes as a huge surprise, Leanne. And so let me just talk about this before we do the massage demo is that a lot of women who are perimenopause and menopause say, oh, there's no way I have estrogen dominance. My estrogen is dropping. You're right. And, it, and that's a plausible, I mean, look, it's a logical assumption. I remember I had, you know, my book, Overcoming Estrogen Dominance, was lying on one of my colleagues' table in the kitchen, and her mom was visiting. And her mom has got huge problems with her breasts. She's got issues with her, with hot flashes, and she's going through like a hell of a menopause. And and so she picked up the book and, and she put it back down. And, and my colleague says to her mom, actually, this book will be great for you. And the mom says, well, not really. I'm not estrogen. I can't be the estrogen dominant. I have no estrogen. I'm in menopause, right? So I want to talk to this for just a second because that's so we don't lose, you know, our audience who are going through that time of that phase of their lives. First of all, let's establish the fact. Think of the fact itself that most women who have breast cancer who, that are estrogen receptor positive breast cancer, that happens in the age of between 55 and, and 65. That's the highest demographic, right? Is their estrogen low, their progesterone low? Oh yeah, absolutely. Can you be estrogen dominant even when your estrogen is low? Yes, completely. And so just because something is low, it doesn't mean that it's non-existent. So think of it this way, right? It's like 
I think one analogy, just to use a bit of our imagination here to bring this home, is think of it, uh, estrogen is like a river, right? And as the river is flowing and it's going, it's hitting this bank uh, in the middle of the river, and the bank separates the river then into a clean stream, like clean estrogens and dirty estrogens, right? Dirty estrogens is what causes a lot of the symptoms that we talked about, including breast change, changes in the breast tissue. And so when you are in perimenopause, you still have a river, you still have a bank. The bank, by the way, is the liver because that's what separates things out. You still have your, your river, the water, you know, estrogen and the bank is just as less water, right? So now you don't have a huge, huge, you know, river. You just have a stream that's flowing, but it still gets separated to clean and dirty streams. And so, so that's, I think that's the best analogy. And in fact, the more you, you take care of estrogen dominance and reverse it and address it, uh, the highly, the higher the likelihood is that you're, you're actually going to be sailing through perimenopause and menopause with a lot more ease as compared, meaning with no hot flashes, with far less issues with memory loss and incontinence and, you know, skin dropping, dripping, uh, drooping and, and so on and so forth as compared to someone who's got estrogen dominance. So I just wanted to clarify that. And that's the reason why you can still be experiencing a lot of breast changes due to estrogen dominance in perimenopause and menopause. Okay. So since we're doing audio only, I'm just going to use voice prompts on how to do the breast massage. And just to make it clear, you know, this is not a massage to, to find lumps on your breast. That's a different kind of massage that you're going to learn how to do. You know, there's, there's so many different videos there is, uh, that you can use to, to do that. The, the purpose of the exercise that I'm going to explain is just to really move the lymphatic system and unstuck the stuck, you know, lymphatic stagnation, right? Move the stagnation in the breast. That is the purpose of it. And just to really get to know your breast, because a lot of women don't touch their breasts. And so whenever they find even something like a, a little lumpy fatty tissue, they don't know whether is it really a lump or is it just a fat tissue because they don't know whether it's been there before it it hasn't. So the best thing to do this is to either use some cream and I can talk about some herbs that you can use or oils that you can use to get like a extra effect. But you know you can also do that in the shower when you are when you are wet and you are using some nice clean soap that is, you know, free of any phthalates and parabens and stuff like that, some nice Castile soap kind of um, deal. And so imagine you are showering, you are nicely leathered up and and you are all good. What you're going to do is just take your left hand, put it behind your head, right? And if you cannot move your hand that far because of some shoulder problems or whatever, then just lift it as, as far as you can. So now you're going to take your, so that was your left hand, right? That's behind your head. And you're going to take your right hand. We're going to be massaging the breast basically from the nipple going out to your clavicle. So think of the clavicle as being like the exit sign. That's what you want to move the stagnation into. And you literally have, I mean, think of the lymphatic system as like a highway that of with these little trucks that go around collecting debris from around the body and they 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 literally they are like the trash trash trucks right that will evacuate trash out of your body and so that is and, and there's so much of the lymphatic activity that's happening in the breast so so the clavicle is your exit point um let's start off with like think of it as like 12 o'clock right above your nipple right and you wanna with your three middle fingers of your right palm you want to be pressing on your breast and then moving the lymphatic system, moving the skin, right? Moving the whole thing into towards the clavicle. Then let's move on to 11 o'clock and we do the same thing from the nipple, right? And then again, we're moving that towards the clavicle. Then move on to 10 o'clock, nine o'clock, right? And then now in terms of pressure, you don't want to be, you know, you want to be gentle on your breast, but it's, but you also don't want to be too soft, right? So the pressure is about, like think of it this way, like if there was honey under your skin, like you want to put enough pressure to kind of move that honey along, right? But not to a point where it's just like, you know, when it's painful or it gets too squeezed. And then when you come to the bottom of your of your breast from the nipple, so that's like the six o'clock kind of a deal, then you you put the pressure, you basically move move your hand down a little bit and then up over the breast again towards the clavicle, right? And you go around like that, finishing one breast, switch hands. Now your right, your right hand goes behind the head and you use your left hand now to 
to massage the breast. And that way you're moving your lymphatic. You, there is, you know, women who have had a lot of stagnation, a lot of pain, just feel so much relief really quickly. Leanne, can I talk about a couple of like oils and herbs that can really like really amplify the effect? Yes, please. So there is a couple of things you can do. One of my favorites, a lot of people know that, you know, if you have painful periods, one of the things you can do is evening primrose oil, right? And that's a, that comes in a capsule. The magical compound in there is called gamma linoleic acid, so GLA. And the GLA can actually uh, be top, used topically as well. And by the way, it works on the breast pain too, but you can, in order to massage your breast and have some, a bit of oil and, and, you know, use it as a massage oil, just take the capsule, break it with a knife or scissors and massage your breast. It's typically one capsule per breast. If you have really big breasts that you might need to use more. I mean, that's just really one fantastic and quick way of, of using that, you know, with, I will, and I will say, I mean, we have a, we have a product that we formulated last year and it took us almost two years of coming up with a formula. And the cool thing was that our formulator had humongous breast issues. And so she, she was in her mid thirties and she would like, she could not put on a bra when, when, when she had, you know, like the 10 days out of the month before her period. And so so she was a really great test background for us, but we also obviously used it with a lot of other women. And so that just that oil itself is amazing. The other thing is if you can find, uh, so there's this amazing herb called poke root, P-O-K-E, poke root. And, you know, it's, it's something that historically it was used by wise women as well as um, midwives for for mastitis and nostalgia, which is basically breast pain and inflammation in the breast. There isn't a lot of research behind it, but it's been used by for centuries. And and I cannot tell you, you know, we've experimented with every one of them on on a one basis, just trying one thing at a time. And pokerud is just phenomenal. It also can be used for fibroids, for uterine pain. So if you can find an oil that's infused with poke root. I think there are some people selling that, for example, on Etsy, you might learn how to do it yourself. I mean, you can buy poke root in a root, you know, from say from uh, mountain rose and then infuse the oil yourself. There's a lot of videos online showing you how to do that. And then massage your breast with that oil, with that infusion. I mean, that is, that is a total game changer. You know, our product, Happy Sisters, does contain poke root. That's our hero herb in, in the formula, in a cream for that very reason. You know, so those are like two, and I would say maybe a third one would be castor oil. Like if you, for example, if you score some pork root or you're using some gamma linear acid, combine it with just a tiny bit of castor oil as well and add that to your, you know, to your palm and then start massaging your breast. And you'll be surprised how, how much more efficacious it can become because castor oil, what we now know is it carries things deeper into the tissue as compared to other oils. So it's, you basically are getting like a deeper penetration of the goodness from the gamma linoleic acid or from the poke root. Yeah, so those are some simple, you know, things that one can do. If you have, you know, evening primrose at home, I mean, you can open the capsule even today and start it right away. If you'd like a shortcut to better sleep, more energy, and a calmer, more stable mood, then you should make sure you're supplementing with magnesium daily. Let me tell you why. About 75% of people are magnesium deficient, says research. <laughs> with the clients that I work with, 100% of them need magnesium. And this deficiency can lead to higher levels of anxiety, irritability, trouble sleeping, low energy, and it can even contribute to foot and leg cramps while you sleep. Now, you might be wondering, does magnesium really affect all these things? Well, the answer is yes. In fact, magnesium is involved in more than 300 chemical processes inside the body. So a lot of different things can start to go wrong if you're deficient. For example, glutathione uptake, which regulates your liver's ability to detoxify, requires magnesium. Now, the good news is that you can experience a number of positive health benefits just from getting enough magnesium magnesium, including better sleep, more energy, stronger bones, healthy blood pressure, less irritability, a calmer mood, reduced muscle cramping, and even fewer migraines. 
But to experience these health benefits, you have to get the right kinds of magnesium. There are actually seven unique forms of magnesium, and you must get all of them at the right amounts if you want to experience its calming, health-enhancing effects. That's why I recommend Magnesium Breakthrough by Bioptimizers. It's the only organic, full-spectrum magnesium supplement that includes seven unique forms of magnesium for stress relief and better sleep all in one bottle. Visit magbreakthrough.com slash keto diet and order now. Oh, and in addition to the discount, you can get using the promo code keto diet one zero. There are always amazing gifts with purchase. That's why I love shopping at Bioptimizers. Their magnesium breakthrough is my number one choice for magnesium. Again, you can go to Meg breakthrough.com slash keto diet. That's M-A-G-B-R-E-A-K-T-H-R-O-U-G-H.com slash keto diet to get your magnesium breakthrough and find out this month's gift with purchase. That's amazing. That's so awesome. Such a great tip. And you had mentioned previously about like the prevention piece, and I'm sure the movement of lymph, like what you just talked about, is a huge piece of prevention, um, the liver support. Um, are there other pieces um, in regards to like preventing fibrocystic breasts? Yeah, you know, I think addressing estrogen dominance very proactively, for some women, it takes more work than for others. So let me give you an example. For instance, you know, the, the reason why I do this work is because I am a notoriously bad estrogen metabolizer, right? I'm, I'm you know, I have all the genetic SNPs that make me you know, really struggle with estrogen metabolism, right? And so, and it's not, <laughs> and when I heard that, it suddenly, you know, suddenly a lot of things started making sense. First of and foremost is the fact that I have family members, um, you know, my aunts on both sides of the family dying from estrogenic cancers on, you know, and as a predominant way of death uh, or reason, cause of death in both sides of my family, ovarian cancers, uterine cancer, breast cancer, predominantly what runs in my family. Uh, we have a joke in it, I mean, which is kind of like funny, not, well, it's not funny at all, but it's, it's more of like, a, you know, the men's side of the family joke that no women in our family has a uterus after 50 and I've just, and I've just turned 50 and, you know, like literally 15 days ago. And I do have my, and I do plan to hold on to my uterus a lot longer, but it was because of history of fibroids and polyps, you know, and, and developing uh, tumors in the uterus that, that, that a lot of women in my family have lost the uteruses. And so, so the, you know, for, so for some women, it takes a lot more work to work on estrogen dominance. And I'll just say one more thing, Leanne, is that, you know, when I got the diagnosis from getting the genetic testing done and got that interpreted, the family history was one thing, but the other thing it made sense was just create a lot more kindness and forgiveness to my own health, because I used to get really puzzled and then really angry with myself for like, oh my gosh, you know, I go to Italy, right. Or I go to Spain or whatever, Portugal. And then you know, the Mediterranean lifestyle, right? Wine, and there's there's a lot of gluten, and there's a lot more dairy than I would typically. And, and you know, and I was like, this coffee, right? I mean, these people live on coffee. And so I typically don't do any of those things when I'm in the US, when I'm back home. But, you know, when you travel, you're like, oh, you know, for goodness sake, like, I'm just going to have some fun. And I will just, and I, would, I wouldn't even overdo it. Like, I'm, I would not even do it, like, with the frequency that a typical, say, Italian woman would, Right. But it's still like, it will still impact me so much. So if I, after a mo one month of doing that, like I'll go to a month of hell, my period would be just from hell. My boobs would be, you know, all swollen, right? My, you know, I have horrendous mood swings. I can't sleep at night. I mean, just really impacted by that stuff. So I was just like, why am I such a delicate flower? But then, you know, now they understand that I have my comp, the COMT gene is I've got a really slow comp gene and that thing isn't working very well. And so I need to do whatever I can to support it. So, so this is where supplementation, I think plays a huge role, you know, on top of a really clean diet. And let me just say that I'm going to talk about a couple of supplements that one can bring in to address estrogen dominance. However, if you're just doing supplements without doing a diet change, that stuff ain't going to work very well. Um, so I just want to, you know, clarify that because uh, a lot of people are spending a lot of money on supplements and then they're still eating a highly inflammatory diet and they are kind of surprised that the supplements aren't working. So, you know, a lot of women who have breast issues or period problems, right? And 
mood swings, etc., would be like, oh, dim. And dim, you know, manufacturers of dim have done a lot of marketing on labeling dim as being the estrogen buster, right? <laughs> so terrible name, but that's just how it's marketed. And and it helps some so so typically what happens with dim, a lot of women um, have some results initially, and then it stops working. Some women makes it worse right away. And for some women, it just doesn't do anything. Right. So, and the reason why that happens is, is that you need to understand that estrogen gets metabolized in three phases in the body. The first phase is phase one in the liver, then the liver, then the second phase takes over and there's different compounds that are going to be neutralizing these toxins. And then phase three is basically you pooping things out. So, the first, so DIM plays a huge role in upregulating your first phase of the liver detoxification where the estrogen gets broken down. But then, but then it leaves, it opens up the floodgates of phase one and then floods the liver with the metabolized estrogen, but that needs to be bound up, right? So phase two of the liver is like, you need to marry off these substances with some sulfur or methane or, you know, whatever substances, right? Glucuronic acid in order to evacuate them to phase three, which is pooping. And this is when, you know, if you have ever taken DIM and you started feeling worse or it stopped working for you, that's because you upregulated phase one liver detoxification. Okay, great. But then the phase two is left unsupported. And so in order to fix that is what you want to do is you want to talk, you want to, you may want to add two more supplements to it. The first one is sulforaphane. So it's, it's what's found in broccoli sprouts. If you're struggling with estrogen dominance, just eating broccoli sprouts on a regular basis is not good enough because you don't really know how much sulforaphane you're getting. Uh, there is a study that came out on that is like, it can vary between almost nothing to being very decent. And so if you want to have a, like a medicinal, you know, clinical dose that's standardized and you know exactly what you're getting, then again, get it in a, in a good quality supplement. And so this is where, so sulforaphane can help bind up some of the estrogens in phase two. But there's another one, which is really fascinating. And let me just tell you like a super quick story. I had, um, I had, a, I met a girlfriend and a, I, I went to do this botanical camp a couple of years ago and I mean, she was on AIP diet. She had like these five autoimmune diseases. She was really taking, like she had it on the control. She was really, really on top of nutrition and she was a, a clinical herbalist too, right? So she really knew her stuff. And every, about seven to 10 days out of the month, her boobs would just be so engorged. Um, she just couldn't, you know, she couldn't function. And it was, it was so, I mean, I, I the, the way she would explain the pain, it was like, I've never heard of anybody explaining that pain. And so I said to her, you know, so have you done this and this? And then she's like, yeah, I've worked with three different naturopaths and doc functional doctors. Nobody seems to have the answer. And I said to her, I said, well, what about calcium deglucurate? And she's like, what, what is that? I don't have calcium problems. I'm like, no, no, it's not calcium. It's actually the glucuronic acid that you want. This just happens to be attached to a calcium molecule. Anyway, the point is that in the phase two liver detoxification, we have this other pathway called the glucuronation pathway. And that's also one of the pathways that metabolizes estrogen. And so just adding calcium deglucurate can bind up that part of estrogens that maybe your liver is inefficient in doing that currently, but it also is the pathway that metabolizes a lot of medicine, uh, prescription drugs, a lot of different toxins you're getting from non-organic foods. I have a colleague who is an emergency physician and she uses that to detox people after like anesthesia, after having a surgery, you do calcium deglucrate. You do not do it before surgery, please, because it's going to bind up stuff. But including the medications. But, and if you are like doing any medications, actually it's so powerful, this supplement that you're going to take it away from your regular medications at least four hours. So, you know, so this is just adding these supplements can really give you like a, what I call complete estrogen detoxification. And, and that's going to be great support for clean diet in really addressing the estrogen dominance element of breast health. Yes, completely. And to kind of circle back to the beginning of our conversation about gut health, understanding that beta-glucuronidase, this whole thing that you're talking about, that enzyme that will recycle the estrogen, is increased when we have dysbiosis. So when the gut is in healthy, that beta-glucuronidase is going to increase, which is going to recycle the estrogen, and it's this vicious loop. And I think that's one of the main reasons, probably, you can correct me if I'm wrong, you said gut health is so important because if we have one of 
those three dysbiotic patterns, whether it be inflammatory, insufficiency, or digestive dysfunction, we're going to likely have an increase in beta-glucuronidase, which is then going to recycle our estrogen, and the loop just keeps going. Absolutely. Yep. And so let's just come up with like a scenario here that's probably quite common. Maybe women are like, oh, I'm really nervous about doing this breast massage. I don't know if I can do it, but okay, I'm going to do it. And they start feeling around and then they get concerned and then they maybe feel something. Where do they go? Like you mentioned thermography, you mentioned mammograms, you didn't mention ultrasound. Like what are we talking about in regards to imaging or diagnostic tools or where do we, what do we do if we find something and we need help? Yeah. So that's a really important question, right? That, that that's, that's the next step. So, you know, I've done extensive research on thermography and spoken to some of the most renowned people in thermography in the country. And so what I've realized by talking to them is that thermography and mammograms are not one or the other. They are completely different technology and it's also used at a different time of your, of your, of your issues. Right. So let me just talk about thermography first. Um, Thermography is amazing as a way to monitor your breast and having that done once a year can be really helpful. Now, one, one note here, please do not get a thermography at a beauty center that also does things like Botoxes and injections and weight loss and whatever, because that you've got to have the right thermography equipment, which is high resolution. So there's a couple of pointers you can, I want to just leave you with so that when you call ahead of time to schedule an appointment, you want to ask them, you want to ask them, do you use a high resolution camera? Do you cool the room and cool me before it gets done? And another third question would be, do you use color as well as black and white photography? And if they don't use black and white, which by the way, will show you estrogen dominant looks fascinating because you look like a leopard, uh, literally, you know, using the black and white technology, then that is the, that is like, those three things will just be a real good giveaway, whether this person is really serious about it and is highly qualified to do it, or is it just, um, you know, or, or, or it's not. Preferably also the technician should be trained by the American Thermography Association. Uh, so that's another, uh, or be somewhat connected to them. So that's another thing to look out for. So that can make a huge difference because, you know, a lot of times when we hear negative things about thermography, that's because the technology was just used, was, was inferior and it's just not fair. Now, the thing with thermography is that, as you know, is a color change, right? Is the heat that brings, gets, gets bring it brought into your breast, but you can also do, by the way, a thermography of your abdomen as well, right? And so that's that's the premise of it. The, the wonderful thing about thermography is that it is something that shows you the problem before it becomes a problem way ahead of time, right? And that's what I love about it because it's like, oh, it's not red yet, but it's becoming orange. Like, why do I have these orange spots in my breast? And then you can, the, the person who is the technician or the practitioner should be able to give you like 10 different points you can implement right away and addressing estrogen dominance at a core root of, of issues, right? With breast and lowering inflammation, talk to you about reducing coffee and reducing alcohol. That's a really, truly, you know, great way of prevention and knowing what's happening before it becomes a problem. So, and I do recommend to do it on the, on the, on a yearly basis, especially after for age 45. When it comes to sonograms, you know, and ultrasound, I don't really have that much experience. I had, I, you know, that's, I think, a question for somebody who really specializes in that. I know that this, when I had lumps on it, they use an ultrasound and it was ruled out it was breast cancer. So that's as far as I know. But when it comes to mammograms, you know, the thing is that there's, there's a lot of negativity around it. And I totally get this. You know, the, the, the part that drives me crazy is how mammograms are positioned in our society. That's a prevention thing, right? And the truth is that, for example, if your thermograph shows you an orange spot on your breast, right, that there is inflammation going on, mammogram ain't going to pick that up. So mammogram can only help you when you already have a problem and it's going to tell you that it is a problem, right? And it's going to tell you how much of a problem is, is it is. So it's a completely different purpose. And, you know, and it's, I think it's a very personal choice and subject to somebody's set of beliefs, whether to do a mammogram, like when you find a lump or not to, not to do it. I personally, you know, if I find a lump or when, when I found one, I did an ultrasound and then I decided to make a lot of changes in my life and then give it a couple of months just to see whether that lump went away. 
before surrendering to mammograms. I've never had a mammogram done in my life, but I have a thermogram done every year. And, you know, and because the lump went away, so I never got a mammogram done. But, you know, if you're dealing with, like, if you're someone who's got a history of breast cancer in a family, right, you've, you know, you've been having lumps coming and going and you're really anxious about it and you don't want to spend two months making all these changes that we talk about here just to see whether that improves, you know, then this is just a, maybe a piece, give yourself a peace of mind that might be a really good solution. Because remember also stress robs you of progesterone and throwing the estrogen progesterone ratio is one of the reasons why your breasts are going to suffer. So really that stress of the anxiety that, you know, finding a lump brings on might actually be far worse. So do what feels right. Yes, completely. I got my first thermography a couple of weeks ago and I asked the practitioner ahead of time all those awesome questions, but then I realized she couldn't actually tell me anything about it. So she literally just gave me these pictures <laughs> and I don't oh, know no. what to do with them. So no. Yeah. Yeah. Seriously. None, nothing. So, um, make sure you ask whether or not they can give you tasks or help you understand what they just gave you because it means nothing to you unless you're trained. Oh, totally. to know I mean, you to... should have a full consult, you know, um, yeah. like a full consult. I mean, the thermography takes about 30 minutes, 35 minutes. And then the rest of the time, it should be a consult. It's typically a two and a half to three hour thing, you know, because you're going to cool the room, you're going to cool the body that takes about 20 minutes for you to cool your body down and all that kind of stuff. So it's, and did you get the black and white contrast as well? I did not. No, I did not. So, you know, you got to ask these questions because then you're going to waste money like I did. Um, and I asked if there would be a session and there wasn't. So make sure if you have a friend, maybe they've gone to a practitioner and they can, they can tell you who they've seen because it's it's a really invaluable tool and a lot of my clients have used it with great success. So yeah, it's so great. Thank you so much for coming on the show today and sharing all of your wisdom. Where can people find more from you? So, you know, on the the, the product that I mentioned, Happy Sisters, is on Wellena, W-E-L-L-E-N-A. That's our um, supplement product, uh, our product page. And then I'm on social media, on Instagram, as well as uh, Facebook with uh, Hormones, but then as Hormones Balance uh, handle. Amazing. Magdalena, thank you so much for coming on the show today. Liana, it's been such a pleasure. Thank you for having me. I hope you enjoyed our time with Magdalena. You can find more from her by going to walena.com. That's W-E-L-L-E-N-A.com. She also has a Facebook account, Hormones Balance. We'll, We'll see you back here next week for another episode. Bye. Thanks for listening. Join us next Tuesday for another episode of the Keto Diet Podcast. Looking for more resources? Go to healthfulpursuit.com for keto meal plans, weight loss programs, low-carb recipes, and oodles of free resources to get you going. The Keto Diet Podcast, including show notes and links, provides information in respect to healthy living, recipes, nutrition, and diet, and is intended for informational purposes only. The information provided is not a substitute for medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment, nor is it to be construed as such. We cannot guarantee that the information provided on the Keto Diet Podcast reflects the most up-to-date medical research. Information is provided without any representation or warranties of any kind. Please consult a qualified health provider with any questions you may have regarding your health and nutrition program. 